Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everybody. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us on another episode. I'm a little sad right now, happy and sad together, because I'm I'm leaving on a jet plane, Yeah, but I do know when I'll be back again. God willing, I am headed off to lead this pilgrimage to Fatima, and then we're going to Spain to follow in the footsteps of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. On recording this podcast, I am leaving in just two days. And our listeners obviously have been hearing about this pilgrimage for, for a while, a if you're a regular listener. So yeah. it's finally coming in. Christopher is sad to be going away from me and our family. The but, woman I love. But excited for the trip. That's yes. always a, a bittersweet feeling. It is. I feel the same way before every pilgrimage. Yeah. There's like a, oh, gosh, I'm leaving my family for 10 days. But then there's a, I know the Lord is going to do mighty things. The Lord things. always does. He does. Always does. It's a it's beautiful not, gift. Yes, the pilgrimage to these places, the whole goal of Christian pilgrimage is not just the physical journey, but the physical journey becomes the sign of the interior journey. And there's mm -hmm. always quite an interior journey we go on. But this gets me excited to say what I'm about to say. Oh, what is it? The next pilgrimage we're going on. Okay. You're coming with me. Ooh. It's true. It's true. This is not until October of 2023. But 2023, but now we can announce we're it. We're announcing it. We're announcing yeah. it now because registration is open mm. next October 26th to November 2nd, 2023. Wendy and I are going to be leading, along with some other members of the TUB Institute team, we're calling it the St. Therese and the Little Way Sen, Sen, Sen. Okay, Sen River Cruise in France. Sen River Cruise. Why did I don't know why I want to say Sen? It's spelled S-E-I-N-E. -E. That's maybe why I wanted to say Sen. Anyway, yes, this is going to sell out because we're going to have the whole boat to ourselves, and that means it is limited to eighty pilgrims, and we are going to, well, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some who will get the reference. We're going to be on the love boat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's not just for married couples. No. It's for anybody and everybody who wants to come on a river cruise. It's a small boat. There's only, as I said, holds only 80 people. We'll have the whole boat to ourselves. We're going to enter into the little way of St. Therese. And Wendy, want to share a little bit about your devotion to this saint and why? Mm, yeah, so my middle name uh, that my parents gave me was Teresa after Therese the Little Flower, whom my mom in a particular way had a great devotion to St. Therese. And uh, I was so delighted when I was kind of old enough as an older teen to finally read the story of a soul and discover who this beautiful woman is that I'm, I have her name as my middle name. So she is uh, just very real. Uh, and that it's so refreshing just to know, kind of get to know her through reading her writings and hear her story of um, a real profound 
conversion that always impacts me whenever I read her telling of it. And I, I don't want to, you know, give all that away for those who haven't read, but it's it's powerful. Yeah, and I had the privilege of teaching a course for a number of years for the St. Therese Institute in Canada. And the course I taught was a, a, a bringing together of the little way with John Paul II's Theology of the Body, which was really exciting for me to make those connections. And those connections will be unfolding. We will be unfolding at great length on this river cruise next year. So we have a link in the show notes to learn more about it. You can also do an extension on the river cruise. We're going to go to Lourdes as well. If you want to do that whole trip, that extends it by a by four days. But learn all the details, and we'll be saying much more about this over the, the coming months um, because this is our first pilgrimage that we're going to be on together. And mm-hmm. I'm really, really excited about that. So all of you listeners to our podcast, come. Think about it. Pray about it. And I always say, if, you know, pilgrimages are expensive, there's airfare, and you're paying for all the meals and the lodging, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not a cheap endeavor. But do not think, if you don't have the money sitting in your account, that the Lord can't arrange things to take you. We just had, just on this pilgrimage that we're going on this, this week, we had a woman call up uh, about... I don't know, two weeks ago, within the last two weeks, saying, I really, really want to come. Is there any scholarship money or any funds available? I don't have the money myself. And I kid you not, we had just received a phone call or an email from somebody who reached out to us saying he had originally wanted to go on the pilgrimage himself. He wasn't able to go, but he had set the money aside for it, and he wanted to sponsor somebody who didn't have the money to go. Mm. So... These things do happen. This is not the first time that has happened. Do not let money get in the way. That's the bottom line. So pray about it. Think about it. And I always say, put the intention in the womb of the Blessed Mother. If she wants to bring it to birth, she will. So Mary, we ask, if there's anybody out there listening who really wants to go on this cruise with us a year from now and thinks there are just too many obstacles, financial or otherwise, we ask Mary, if it be the will of your son that you bring that to birth for that person. Amen. Amen. Any other updates from the TOB Institute? Well, that was a major one. Uh, We do have some courses coming this fall. You can check out that link in the show notes. We have TOB1 online. We have TOB2 in person that I'll be teaching. And then that's in uh, this first week of October. And then in November, I think the second or third week of November, second week, I guess, of November, we have Father Timothy Gallagher coming to teach a theology of the body and the interior life. He's going to go through the Ignatian principles of discerning spirits, which so rich, so practical, so important for all of us as we seek to follow the Lord in our lives. So check out those links to learn more about those courses. Great. You ready for a question from yep. a patron? Let's do it. This first question is from an anonymous pa- patron. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for your ministry. The podcast especially has been very helpful to me. I'm a young woman in my early 20s, and God willing, I hope to be married one day. Oftentimes I hear advice from Christians that wives shouldn't, quote, let themselves go. They need to make an effort to remain attractive for their husband's sake. 
I once read a popular book on Christian marriage that included a story about a husband who, after his wife had a baby, was deeply hurt every time she would eat a donut because she wasn't trying to get back into shape for him. As a woman, this advice doesn't make me feel very good. I long to be loved and cherished regardless of how I look. On the other hand, I can see the perspective that taking care of your appearance can be an act of love for your husband. How can spouses communicate how they feel about this without mm. further hurting one another? It's such a great question. And gosh, I, I, I could go on and on and on and on and on responding to it. Anybody catch that Rapper's Delight reference? Mm -hmm. That was for you. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I... I, I'm trying to think what what can we say in the brief few minutes that that will will at least be food for thought. I there are two extremes here we want to avoid. When we can map that out, then we can find that that middle way, which that's that's where we want to be. The two extremes we we want to avoid would be on the one hand appearance is so important and yes you better make sure you're staying fit and shape or your husband's not going to love that's that is a, coming from a broken paradigm that is a paradigm of this fallen world and it's trying to cope with the fact that we look but do not see and it's trying to cope with the idea of how do i win approval in in this broken fallen paradigm we, we don't want to live in that broken, fallen parad paradigm, but coming out of that broken, fallen paradigm is a long, long journey. We, are, we all begin there. We, we begin in a broken place, and we're, marriage is a journey towards healing and ongoing redemption. So on the one hand, that one extreme we want to avoid is, is that unnuanced advice that, that I know it's out there. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've run into it. I've read about it. Wives, you better stay fit and trim, and and uh, you know, because your or your husbands aren't going to find you attractive anymore. They're going to have wandering eyes. That is not the solution to the problem. On the other extreme, we could say, you know, there's there's no no sense or no need whatsoever to to watch your health or 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 um, want to appear beautiful or just go to pot with you know. On the other, you know, the other extreme of that equation would be just go to pot and and that's fine and doesn't matter what you eat or drink or how you look at all. Uh, we don't want to go to that extreme either. But what we we need to get to, I think, in the middle here, is answering the question: What is love? What is beauty? What does it mean truly to be attracted to a person? What are the pains and sufferings of this fallen world where youthful beauty inevitably for everyone fades right how do we how do we live in a world where we know we're on a conveyor belt and it all we're all going to fall off the end of it in death and we're going to age and our bodies are going to wilt scripture says all flesh is grass uh, it's here in the morning and in the evening it fades and withers this is reality, and we're, we don't like that reality. We're afraid of that reality, and aging, going gray, gaining weight, getting wrinkly, creaky bones, that, that is part of the journey of almost inevitably, all those things are almost inevitable, 
as you age. And we need to make peace with that. And we need to know, and this is where I want to affirm your heart. You are right, dear sister, in your heart to say, I want to be loved regardless of how I look. I want to know that the man I marry is going to commit himself to the journey of loving me in good times and bad, in sickness, in health, in in for richer, for poorer, for good looks and gaining weight and gray hair and everything else that comes with it. I need to know that I'm going to be loved. I need to trust that I'm going to be loved. That is your heart crying out rightly from a true place in your humanity, a genuine place that is worthy of of love and and every heart needs to know that we are loved in those mm-hmm. vulnerable scary places. Wendy and I can certainly speak into this in terms of our own journey and struggles we've been through. We we live in a world that is so afraid of aging and death where youthful attractiveness, youthful beauty is idolized. And I, my mind has been warped by that in its own way. Wendy, you have been impacted by that mm-hmm. in your own way. And we've had to have lots of, of honest conversations, painful conversations. Uh, we've faced conflicts here. We've worked through conflicts here, ways that I've hurt you, ways that you've hurt me, uh, That this part of life. So you're not going to find a man who lives this perfectly, and you're not going to live this perfectly. But at a bare minimum, This is what we need. And I'm going to quote JP2 here. This is love and responsibility. Your love needs to be mature enough when you get married, mature enough that it can continue maturing. Hmm. And this is part of the maturing is is facing the inevitable reality of, of aging and dying and leaving youthful beauty behind with trust and hope that the real beauty we desire is full speed ahead. We are right. See, this, this is, it's, it demands such a nuanced answer uh, because I don't want to just entirely dismiss what is typically the male desire for his wife to retain her beauty, right? Uh, that's a typical male desire, but what he can do in this fallen world is put pressure on his wife. If you don't maintain beauty in, in this standard, then I'm not going to love you anymore. Well, that's his problem, not her problem, right? That's something going on in his heart that's off. But there's also a truth there in his heart that got twisted up. JP2 says, and this is a reflection on husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? From Ephesians chapter 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her all beautiful without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. So right there, right there, the scripture itself holds this out, that the husband is to learn to love his wife into her authentic beauty. But what the key word here is authentic beauty, right? The culture is holding out to us a model and understanding of beauty that is 100% what I call, and I, I think we've mentioned this recently on a podcast, I call it pre-wilted flower beauty, pre-wilted flower beauty, meaning youthful beauty. I'm only going to love you so long as you're youthful, you're going to hit, I don't know, once you get 40, 45, 50, you're, man, that's, uh, 
This is a this is this age and stage when a lot of husbands divorce their wives after 30 years and go marry a girl in their 20s. And that's the that's what I'm talking about of pre-wilted flower beauty. We need a love that survives the wilting. We need a love that survives death. And this is the authentic cry of Eros in the Song of Songs. The lovers cry out for a love that is stronger than death, a love that can survive, let's be honest, the ugliness of death. It's not, death is not a pretty thing, and aging and wrinkles and gray hair, all of that is a reminder of death. Ain't fun, ain't pretty, but Jesus Christ has conquered death. One of my favorite quotes from Pope Benedict XVI is when he says, the resurrection of Christ is the certainty that that cry of Eros in the Song of Songs is not just a vague dream, it's a reality. There is a love stronger than death. Only that kind of love, only a man and a woman who are committing themselves to that kind of love can stare death in the face, can stare aging and wrinkles and gray hair and gaining weight and creaky bones and disease and sorrow, the sorrow of cancer and whatever else may come your way. Only the couple who's committed to faith in the resurrection of the body can stare death in the face and say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? There is a love stronger than death. That's our only hope. I could say much more, but I'm going to toss it to you, Wendy. What are your thoughts? Mm. I, I think one of the things when you talk about that pre-wilted flower beauty is that that painful feeling that um, that it's all about an appearance that is, you know, kind of this arbitrary current cultural standard right. of beauty, which certainly we can look through art of the past and recognize that different uh, cultures have different um, things that they value as far as what they consider beautiful. But so, and that's, that's part of why I use that word arbitrary. And nonetheless, we live in the culture that we live in. And I think that that commandment that we should have no idols is one of the ones that we really need to look at yes, here. Yes. Each of us in our hearts is that we're just taught to associate a, a matching a certain standard of beauty with our happiness. Like that's just the message of of the images that we see and all with the time. Our, with our value, we we attach our own sense of value to yeah. whether or not we we live yeah. up to that. And standard. This instinct of our patron who said, I want to know that I'm loved. Yeah, that I'm loved. And we are all about theology of the body. So let's just look at that. It is not a matter of just being sort of loved for my interior without any regard for my body. It's it's about being loved so that our our full integration is apparent in some way on this earth or almost there where the the interior joy is what is expressed in our exterior and that beauty is not dependent on arbitrary standards it comes from the places within us and comes out through our pores Glory. and the ones who know us best know the story of 
all the physical realities and embrace us because they they know what our health challenges are, what our stresses are, what our sorrows are, all of which are expressed in our bodies and they they get us. Mm-hmm. They love that person that they mm-hmm. know so well, that they're so privileged to know so well. And I think that feeling that somehow someone would evaluate me on uh, based on some standard that I'm failing to meet and therefore it, I don't seem like such a great gift anymore is so threatening because it it is a profound gift that we make to one another as spouses and to be received by the other means to be like Adam looking at Eve this one at last mm-hmm. you know always not because of the perfection, but because of the unique, unrepeatable gift and the privilege it is to receive a unique, unrepeatable gift. In the mix of all that is honest communication about where we are on that journey, about the um, the steps we're taking on that journey, because we're not just going to show up fully redeemed to marriage, as you said, mature enough to keep maturing. Yes. That's that's what we bring. So we ask for the Lord's grace in all of that. I, If Christopher and I wrote a book uh, on this topic, we would not give that advice about wives shouldn't let themselves go no, 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 or no. that it's the responsible to remain attractive for your husband's sake. That kind of comment has always troubled both of our hearts. So I'll just say that in response to the question. But at the same time, there is just, it is a complex reality of our of our differences as human beings and looking always at the deeper levels so that we can enter into what I consider just the, the flow of grace, not being blocked in our relationship. And I, I want to just be willing to make myself in a particular way here vulnerable because I think honesty demands it. And I, I, I really don't want to give our listeners the impression that you and I have figured this one out and um, it's not a struggle. We live in the same world that everybody else lives in. And I, in a particular way, as I said earlier, I was really warped by this idol of a certain um, kind of feminine beauty that was held out to me by the culture. I was warped by that. And that, that warping of my mind and heart really has hurt you, Wendy. And it hurts you, it has hurt you for all the reasons that you just spoke of about needing to know you're loved as you are for who you really are and you're not being held up uh, in comparison to some arbitrary standard of, of beauty or that's, that's just in vogue in the current culture. The, the, the deepest cry of the heart, the deepest question of the heart is, am I lovable? Am I loved as I am? And when you live in that milieu of, uh, you know, these, these very surface standards of beauty that are only skin deep and are really in the end death dealing because they rupture the body and the soul. And that's what death is. Death is, by definition, the separation of body and soul. The kind of beauty, the model of beauty, the angle on beauty that the culture holds out is death dealing. 
because of that rupture. And I came into our relationship with a deep rupture here. And that we had a beautiful experience in our dating relationship where I experienced a real integration and a real recognition of the lies that I had believed and how they were wounding mm -hmm. you, Wendy. And I remember it was the day of our first kiss where yeah. a, a beautiful, beautiful healing happened in my heart. And we were naive. We were 25 and 22 at the time. And we were naive to think, oh, the healing has happened. Great. Mm -hmm. As if that was all that was required now. Let's move on. My my, The man I'm going to marry is now healed and integrated. <laughs> uh, these wounds go much deeper than, than we realize. And it's an ongoing journey of, of healing that is needed to see rightly, to love rightly. And thank God uh, we were immature, but thank God we were mature enough to allow our love to continue maturing. Mm-hmm. And it's been 27 years of that, of allowing our love to continue maturing, to continue growing. To the, the disintegration is profound in each and every one of us. But there is a path to reintegration. It's what every human being desires. It's worth it. It's worth it. Keep going. Keep going. Our next question is from a listener named Joan. She says, regarding dating and marriage for seniors, I'm learning that dating as a 63-year-old, the issue of impotence comes up often. I understand that a sacramental marriage must be consummated. So I have three questions. First, is there dispensation from canon law if the marriage is unable to be consummated due to impotence after childbearing years? What if the man is unsure if he's able to consummate the marriage? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, how she worded this. Um, what is meant by consummation of the marriage is maybe the point of her okay. question. So let's define some terms here. And, and Joan, first of all, thank you. Thank you for this question. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for Putting it right out there in the light, we need to talk about these things. And yeah. the church has certain teachings here. And and if we don't have a source we can go to to learn what they are, we can remain in the dark. Yeah, I just want to say I'm including Joan's question because it's one of many that we've gotten questions about changes in our ability to function in this way in later years. And what does that say, you know, for marriage? So thank you for Yes. Answering this. Yes. So canon law says the marriage is consummated when spouses perform in a human manner that act which is per se suitable for the generation of human life. Is a very technical way to it say it. It is. Right? But marriage is consummated when the spouses perform between themselves in a human manner. So if it's an abusive act or a forced act, uh, not in a human manner, it doesn't consummate the marriage. Uh, and it must be that act which is per se suitable for the generation of children. What act is per se suitable for the generation of children? Sexual intercourse, in which the male seed is deposited in the vagina of the woman. That is the act which is per se suitable for the generation of children. 
someone would be considered definitively and perpetually impotent. Those words are very important in canon law. Definitively and perpetually impotent, who has no possibility whatsoever, definitively and perpetually, of ever performing that act, which is per se suitable for the generation of children. And if that is the case, if a, a man or a woman were definitively and perpetually unable to engage in the marital act, this does not mean unable to conceive children, it means unable to engage in that act that God designed for the generation of children. If someone were definitively and perpetually impotent, they could not marry. They do not have what is required of marriage. Uh, I, I urge you, please, if this is a shock to you, if you're like, whoa, what? Well, I didn't know the church taught that. Please, please read my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, mm. where I go into great detail in explaining why this is the case. Bottom line, marriage is, is a very specific kind of relationship. It's the kind of relationship between, an, a man, between a man and a woman who are capable of performing that act, which is per se suitable for the generation of children. As soon as you remove that act, the marital act, from the equation of the definition of marriage, well then why can't two men marry? Why can't two women marry? Why can't I marry my sister? Why can't I marry my mother? Why can't I marry my daughter? Well, the reason you can't marry all these people is because either it would be entirely inappropriate, i.e. morally wrong, to engage in that act with such a person, such as a close relative, or two men, why can they not marry? Because they have no possibility whatsoever of engaging in that act, which is per se suitable for the generation of children. In other words, they have no possibility of engaging in the marital act. If you have no possibility whatsoever, definitively, of ever participating in the marital act, you cannot marry, because the ability to participate in the marital act is a prerequisite for the ability to marry. These cases, I have to underscore, are very, very rare. Definitive and perpetual impotence. We would have to have a clear-cut case like a, a, a man who, for, uh, forgive, the, uh, <laughs> forgive the imagery here, but uh, had his male member caught in some farm equipment or something and lost it. Okay, he, he no longer has a penis. He is definitively and perpetually unable to engage in the marital act. Such a man would be unable to marry. Doesn't mean he's incapable of love. There are other kinds of love. But he is incapable of that kind of love, specifically called marital love, because marital love requires the ability to engage in that act. Now, you could get married, consummate the marriage that night, and the next day have your member lost in a farming accident. Well, you're already married, and the marriage is already consummated, and it only takes one act to consummate the marriage. Uh, so good times, bad times, farm accidents, no farm accidents, this is your husband, this is your wife, you are, you are married. But in advance, if you don't have the ability to engage in the act definitively and perpetually, you cannot marry. The case she's bringing up of some elderly men who do not know, the church would not say, would not conclude this person definitively and perpetually is impotent. Uh, he may well be able to consummate the act with Viagra or with some other medical intervention. 
right? And I'm sure people are out there, what, what, a man can take Viagra? Is that okay? Well, what's the difference between that and a woman taking the pill? Huge difference. One pill called Viagra is aiding the body to do what God created it to do. Another pill, the birth control pill, is being taken to eliminate the possibility of what God created the body to do. One is acting with God's intention, one is acting contrary to God's intention. We have to understand these nuances, otherwise we can think that, oh, the church is just opposed to, to medical technology when it comes to sexual ethics. No, it's what direction is the technology working, in accord with God's design or contrary to God's design? One sentence here I thought would be really good for you to um, explain a little more is when she said, I understand that a sacramental marriage must be consummated. And I just want you to, when you just mentioned about, say, yes. a person that doesn't know if they're able to, they still enter into a sacramental marriage. So sacramental marriage, just to be clear, just to, now we're getting to some of the really finely nuanced <laughs> ideas of canon law. You do not technically, you are not technically required to consummate your marriage. What you are required, or what, what is required, is that you have the ability to consummate your marriage. Uh, we know of a couple who... Uh, approached their local bishop, and you do need to get permission from your local bishop to live a, a Josephite marriage. And he granted that permission, but he granted it on the condition that if either spouse at any time in the course of their marriage requested reasonably the marital embrace, the other could not refuse. So it has to be a mutual agreement between a husband and a wife to live a Josephite marriage, which would be a, a, a ratified but non-consummated marriage. These are the technical terms that canon law use, uses. Um, canon law says that your marriage is ratified at the moment of a valid exchange of consent. You're really married. The bond is established. Uh, through consent. Consent makes the marriage. However, the marriage is not signed, sealed, and delivered in its consummate reality un until and unless husbands come together in a human manner in that act, which is per se suitable for the generation of children. You meant to say spouses come together. What did I say? Hus husbands. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for that correction. Yes. So just knowing as I do reading lots of questions from listeners. Yes. I know that these concerns about how my body has changed, you know, are real concerns yes, that, yes. that listeners have. I feel like I want to just give some peace to that yes. anxiety. Yes. And and one of the things that I feel like is really helpful is to look at that. It's not something to um, think the church will not consider me married if this all doesn't go as well as I hope. Right, right. And there's a lot of just, it's a beautiful thing to live chastity and to trust in the Lord with your Wait, life. Define what you mean by chastity, though, because there other listeners will think you mean abstinence, which is... Oh, sorry. What I mean yep. is that a man not knowing whether he can perform this act is a sign that he's not... Um, not Misused, living unchastely. He's not misusing his he's, body. Right, right. And, and 
So that's a beautiful that's thing. That's a beautiful thing, yes. And to think that there would be some kind of a punishment for that, right. you know, is just absurd. But I can understand how it could seem that way. Yes. So I just want to honor the older men out there who are Amen. saying, Lord, I, I still desire marriage. I don't even know if this is possible for me now. Or the women who are saying, can we really get married, you know, if we're not sure what we're able to do. So those are the kinds of things that I just yes. want to speak peace into that. They're, they're so tender, these places, and it, it, the tenderness of these places in our hearts reveal something deep and beautiful and mysterious to us that we should really prayerfully enter into and pay attention to. Our, our, our genitals, if I may say it plainly, our genitals uh, well, I'll use John Paul II's expression. The outward sign of masculinity and femininity, and by that he means the genitals, the outward sign of masculinity is a sign of the inner mystery of that masculine person. And the outer sign of femininity, the female genitals, are a, a sacrament, an outward sign of the innermost mystery of the woman's heart. And so when we talk about anything that has to do with our genitals, it touches the inmost places of our hearts. Mm, yes. That's why these questions are so vulnerable. And Wendy, thank you so much just for bringing us back to that very human place, you know, rattling off the truths uh, and 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 verbiage of canon law can seem um, impersonal. I don't want that at all. I, I wanted to give an appropriate and as thorough as possible on this podcast answer to these technical questions and matters. But you are so right, Wendy, to say, whoa, whoa what? let's not forget the human hearts here that are involved. And and again, so let's let's apply the the gift of the church's technical language to these tender places. The technical language is only definitive and perpetual inability to engage in the marital act would make one unable to enter marriage in under the heading that we are addressing here. There are other reasons that people can't get married, but we're not going to get into all of that right, right now. We're addressing this question of impotence. Definitive and perpetual. It is extremely rare that anyone is ever um, definitively and perpetually impotent. So in the lion's share of cases, a certain question mark, an uncertainty, I'm 65, I'm 75, I, I'm not, I have no experience as, as to, to know whether I can engage in the marital act um, because I'm living a chaste life. Well, praise God for that. You, you go through the whole process of, of entering into the sacrament of marriage, and you find on the wedding night things are difficult. Um, maybe the erection doesn't come easily or readily. Maybe penetration is, is difficult or painful because of age and, and atrophy of certain muscles, etc., etc. All of these do not qualify as definitive and perpetual impotence. These are all just realities that we were addressing in our previous question about flowers that wilt, uh, the way the body changes, the way 
age has a, a, an inf- impact, sometimes a painful impact. But a husband and a wife who marry later in life, in their 60s and their 70s, who may face some of these very real physical limitations and struggles, but are committed to one another, loving one another, and, and even seeking whatever appropriate ways uh, with medical help, with, with uh, maybe there's a psychosomatic reality going on in a woman's body that's um, frigid and unable to receive her husband, a husband that walks with his wife in those, into those places into, that may take years of counseling or therapy or spiritual direction to get to a place uh, that they could consummate that union, that's a beautiful, holy, human, wonderful expression of the sacrament of marriage. Amen. I have one more question for you okay. from a listener named Adam. Adam asks, what does it mean to take in movies, TV shows, and other stories through a TOB lens? Hmm. Thank you, Adam, for that question. I love uh, talking about these kind of things. I guess for me, I don't know how to take it in any other way because this is these these are no longer like a pair of glasses I wear. It's just my my eyes have adjusted, um, not perfectly. But it has become more and more over the years just the way I see the world. Um, but I, I suppose, let me, let me approach it from this angle, someone who, who hasn't spent uh, 30 years uh, diving into John Paul's vision and teaching it and living it and may not take it for granted, the first thing it would mean would be exposing yourself to the themes of John Paul II's teaching which is really just diving more deeply into the gospel message itself. Uh, we have to remember this, you know, when we use our, our nice little insider lingo about T.O.B. this and T.O.B. that, or, oh, that's so T.O.B., people will say, who are kind of in this whole world of John Paul's teaching, it can become a, a thang, you know? <laughs> and, and T.O.B. is not a thang, T.O.B. is a Bible study. T.O.B. is the theology of the body of John Paul II, is a, a, a deep, immersive entering into the Scriptures, and who is Jesus Christ, and who am I, and what does it mean that we're made male and female in the image and likeness of God, and what light does this shine on the whole of reality? Well, it shines a piercing, brilliant, beautiful light on the deepest truths of what it means to be human. And when, or to the degree that you enter into that, and you experience deeper integration, as Wendy and I were talking about in an earlier question, about the ongoing need over a lifetime for deeper integration here, you realize that good art, what is art? What is good art? Art is good insofar as the artist is looking honestly, at the interior mysteries of what it means to be human, and expressing them, pressing them out. Uh, and, and, you know, even uh, a broken clock is right two times a day, as the expression goes. <laughs> um, and there's some other expression about a squirrel finding a nut 
um, that I do. Well, you know what I'm talking about? No. Even a blind squirrel <laughs> finds a nut or something, or maybe I just made that up. You made it up. Did I make that came up? from a dream. Okay. <laughs> I, if you, if anybody out there knows the squirrel nut <laughs> analogy or whatever I'm talking about that has something to do with a broken clock is right two times a day, uh, let me know that I'm not crazy. But anyway, the point is this. The human being is not utterly depraved. Is Hollywood utterly depraved? No. Is it depraved? Uh, by and large, yes. But is it utterly depraved? No. Because nobody is utterly depraved, which means there is truth to be found, even in uh, movies where there's a lot of junk. But you have to be discerning, and you can you can find the truths that are there. And and this is also it comes with purity of heart, right? Remember what Saint Paul says: "To the pure, all things are pure, but to the impure, nothing is pure." Let me give you an example. Um, to, the, to the impure person who walks into the Sistine Chapel, the naked images in the Sistine Chapel, that impure person will project his impurity onto Michelangelo. That's what Paul means. To the impure, nothing is pure. Even though Michelangelo painted those nudes from a place of purity of heart. Um, to the pure, all things are pure. A pure person could watch a movie like, uh, I'll just pick one. I mean, I could pick any number, but Titanic, for example. We all know there are some scenes of impurity in Titanic. But to the pure, all things are pure. What does this mean? What is impurity? Impurity means there's something good that got tangled up by something not good, and it's become impure, right? Impure gold means there's still gold there, but there's something foreign that got in the mix with it, mm. right? So to the pure, all things are pure. What does this mean? Someone with a pure heart could watch Titanic, for example, and when those scenes that have some alloy mixed into the gold appear, you don't have to say, I have to throw away the whole movie because there's some impurity in it. You can, I would recommend, Nonetheless, that you fast forward through that one scene, you guys all know the one I'm talking about, um, in the back seat of the car. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the whole movie is is therefore doesn't have any value. Right? To the pure, all things are pure. To the impure, nothing is pure. The goal here is purity of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And this is something that I can attest to, and I know countless others can attest to. The more you grow in purity, you start to discover God in art. And not just sacred art. You start to discover Him in a otherwise banal pop song on the radio. You start to discover Him in—you in, start to have sacred experiences in a movie theater, sacred experiences at a Broadway show where you see the genuine light of truth shining in even in the midst of otherwise distorted things. Uh, and again, discernment is needed here. I'm not just giving some blanket statement that you should go watch any movie or listen to any song or go see any play on Broadway. Not that at all. We have to have discernment and, and some very important advice here. Christian, know thyself. 
if you know a certain song or certain movie or certain show on Netflix would cause you to stumble, don't watch it. Don't watch it. Christian, know thyself, right? If you know if you went into the Sistine Chapel, you would stumble because you'd take a pornographic view right with you into the Sistine Chapel. Well, don't go into the Sistine Chapel. But don't project your impurity onto Michelangelo and onto the other people who are in the Sistine Chapel. So food for thought. Wendy, what do you want to add to what I've shared there? Yeah, I love that um, point that there's something of the unrepeatable person who's receiving the art that's important in this whole yes, absolutely. Um, discussion. And you mentioned that in terms of know thyself, um, in terms of knowing what your limitations are, what are things that are just too disturbing to your own person or that are going to tap into things that are, it's going to be a, a negative for you. So that's, that's a beautiful advice. And I just think when we say through a TOB lens, we're, we're embracing the full vision of humanity that theology of the body holds out that, that we are created uh, perfectly and that we are fallen, but redeemed and that we have a destiny to be fully redeemed yes, in heaven. Yes. And when we see, when we can remember that story of humanity, yes, we can well place the things that we're seeing within that story. Well said, Wendy. And we can make sense of them. What are, what am I seeing here? That's an, a little reminder of what was before the fall. What am I seeing in here that's showing fallenness? What am I seeing here that's showing redemption? What am I seeing here that's showing me hope for full redemption? All of that can just increase our faith, you know, and be a joy. Hey, everybody, listen to what my wife just said. <laughs> she said it really well, uh, really succinctly and insightfully. Well done, Wendy. Yes. Amen. That is that is it. That is precisely it. And it's a joy. You, we, don't, <laughs> we don't, we can get ourselves in a very disintegrated, and I'm going to use this word and I'll explain what I mean, puritanical place here when we don't go undergo this journey of, of integration and, and seeing the whole world as God's world created perfectly, tragically twisted and distorted through fallenness, but nonetheless redeemed and on the journey towards redemption. When we don't see that, when we don't view the world that way, we start thinking, well, that's, we, we, we have a, a too strict of a separation of good and evil. And, and this ends up being puritanical. What puritanical, to say puritanical here, I mean, it's the demand that there be no weeds among the wheat. That's puritanism. Mm. That's purit a puritanical view. There must be no, not even a, a hint of anything uh, uh, corrupt or, or messed up here at all. And if there is, it's all bad, throw it away. And, and you know, I've, I've heard certain Catholic circles use examples like, when, when people will say, well, you don't have to throw away the whole movie because there's just that one scene in it. Well, the response, you know, would be, well, you wouldn't eat a batch of brownies if there was just a little bit of poop mixed in with it, would you? Well, okay, you are on the road to a puritanical worldview, if that's the way you see the world. Remember what Jesus said when the disciples were too eager to pull up the weeds, right? Don't pull up the weeds yet. Why? 
Because you could pull up the wheat with it. Because you could pull up the wheat with it. The wheat and the weeds are going to grow together until the end of time. And it is not real. It is so un-Catholic to, to have this division where we think the church is all wheat and the secular world is all weeds. Oh my gosh, it is wrong on both counts. We, you're going to find gangly, ugly weeds in the church. And guess what? You're going to find some really rich and potentially beautiful wheat out there in the secular world. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God, and we're all fallen and sinners, which is why the wheat and the weeds are going to be in both the church and the secular world. When we have that strict divide, it is not Catholicism, it's Puritanism. So, Lord, purify our hearts so that we can come to see uh, that the wheat and the weeds grow together. We can be discerning. I'm not saying any of this to, to justify the weeds or to certainly not applaud the weeds, but it's, it's realism. It's Christ's own realism. And we have to leave the, the final separation, the definitive weeding out, uh, a separation of the wheat and the weeds. We have to leave that entirely to Jesus. So, Lord, we put it all in your hands. Show us the way forward. Thank you, everybody, especially to our patrons. Um, we're so grateful to our patrons for the support that you offer the Theology of the Body Institute. We have a global ministry to spread this good news around the globe. Uh, that's kind of obvious. That's why we call it a global ministry. That's right. Um, and we need your help to do that. So if you're not a patron, would you prayerfully consider $10 a month gets you in the door to be a patron at the Theology of the Body Institute, and you get a, a boatload of benefits, uh, ongoing formation, exclusive retreats, and audio and video presentations that we offer in an ongoing way to our patrons. So check all that out in the link below. Keep the questions coming. We're so grateful. And if you were blessed by today's episode, please hit that share button to help us grow our audience. And until we gather again for our next episode, please know it in your bones that you are a gift. And become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.